Dave. This is what I look like without a mask. Um, and uh, yeah, just really excited to be here. First of all, I just want to say it's a blessing and an honor to be here and, and be able to, to share the word with you guys. Uh, honestly, a year ago, if you had told me that I would be here right now preaching at New Life Dresher, I would have told you you were nuts. Um, and yet here we are by the grace of God. So um, yeah, I just want to thank you. Uh, a lot of you have been really encouraging um, very helpful. Uh, our family has felt very welcomed, and it's been a very easy transition, uh, especially considering, you know, the world we live in right now. Um, and so, as Anthony mentioned, I'm going I'm to be speaking about the law today, which I think is fair for my first sermon to be talking on the law. I have 25 minutes to give you the whole of it. Um, so, <laughs> there it is. Uh, but yeah, uh, and, and so, as I was thinking about this, I, I was realizing that, um, you know, when you hear that, you know, a lot of us may have different responses. Like when you hear, hey, we're talking about the law today. Um, you know, some of you may be sitting there and thinking like, oh, here we go. These Christians with all their rules from a vindictive God, like they're just, I knew this was coming. Um, some of you might be sitting there and be thinking like, well, Dave, why, why are we talking about the law? Like Jesus came and God's full of grace. Like it's irrelevant. Like why? Don't, don't worry about it. Now, some of you might also be sitting there thinking, well, it's about time. We're talking about the law here. Uh, New life's been a little loosey-goosey, in my opinion. It's, uh, and I use the term loosey-goosey because I assume that's a term people with that mindset use. Um, and, uh, so anyway, uh, so uh, the law, as we, we look at it today, the law was given by God to guide his people uh, in how to live in relationship with him and, and with others. Uh, and yet, in our fallen nature, we tend to respond to it in these ways that I, I just laid out. Um, we, we see it as outdated rules. Um, some of us don't see it as a guide, but we see it as the destination itself, or at least the vehicle to the destination. Um, and, and to be honest, having a wrong view of the law, uh, that can be dangerous, because it, it takes away from or adds to the gospel, which then denies the gospel. So uh, we're going to be looking at that today. Let's, let's pray real quick. Uh, Lord, you are holy, you are merciful, you are awesome. Thank you so much for allowing us to gather today. I just pray right now that you would guide my words, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, and that we would have a um, healthy view of the law uh, and, and know Jesus Christ more. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what is the law? Last week, we talked about God's covenant with his people. Um, now, in many covenants, there were these stipulations so that the, the parties involved would understand what violates uh, the covenant. And so basically, the law is the stipulation that, that upholds the covenant with God, like people know whether or not they're in violation. And so for the Hebrew people, the law guided them in what it looks like to live in a covenant relationship with God. Now, when we talk about the law uh, of the Old Testament, we often focus in on the Ten Commandments and, and various subsequent laws laid out to the nation of Israel. Uh, but the law is actually part of the, uh, the narrative of the story of God's people. Um, Michael Williams says, When an Israelite son asked his father what the law meant, the answer was the story of the Exodus and the fulfillment of the covenant promise, the old, old story of God's saving love and deliverance. So we're, we're going to look at that uh, today, but not only that, we're going to look at how it fits into the larger narrative of the Bible and applies to us today as followers of Jesus. Um, I actually went to Syracuse University, where I studied television, radio, and film, because I don't like to read. Um, and when I, 
the communication school there, uh, I will say, it's actually one of the, the top communication schools in the country, um, uh, mostly because of their broadcast journalism uh, majors. The, the television radio film guys, I don't know how we got there, but um, it was, it was, it's, a, it's a top school. And so because of that, a lot of times the students that go there, uh, how do I put it, tend to think very highly of themselves. Um, and so uh, I volunteered one year to be a guide to give a tour to prospective students of, of the school. And so in the beginning, we all had to gather into the auditorium, and the dean gave kind of a presentation about himself and the school, and then he opened it up for a Q&A. And I remember this one student, like, raised his hand, and he said, Dean, I was at NYU last week, and I was just thoroughly impressed with their program. Everything I saw, everything they said, just wowed me beyond belief. What is it that you're going to say to me that's going to wow me about this school? And I thought, who is this guy? Like, what 18-year-old says, wow me? Like, what is this weird? And the dean, without flinching, just looked at him and said, oh, you were at NYU last week. And the kid was like, yeah. And he's like, you were impressed with that. And he's like, yeah. And the dean goes, well... I'm glad to hear that, because when I started that program at NYU 25 years ago, I was, whoa. <laughs> we all shut up and listen then. That guy knows what he's talking about. But, but he gave it. There was a credibility. There was an authority there. And I think that's something we forget about when we think about the law, is there is a lawgiver um, who has authority and credibility. Uh, we're going to open to Exodus over here, Exodus chapter 19. Uh, I'm going to take us through 1 through 6. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so Moses goes and he talks with the people and they prepare themselves. And in the next chapter, uh, right as God is about to give the Ten Commandments, he says this. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So, as we've talked about the last few weeks um, in this sermon series, we know that God is the creator. He created, created everything. Um, he's the one who is full of grace towards his creation, even when uh, we blatantly sinned and disobeyed. He, he's the one who made a covenant with Abraham, promising to set apart uh, people who would bring blessing to the world. And specifically, in the current context of this passage, God has freed the Hebrew people in powerful ways. He brought freedom and redemption to them uh, from, from the powerful and oppressive hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. And he did so with miraculous plagues that all specifically tore down the so-called gods of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea so that they could pass through safely while their enemies were defeated. And up to this point, he's miraculously provided water, manna, meat, and he's even given them victory over an attacking people. So the one giving these laws has credibility and authority. Um, there have definitely been ups and downs in the history of the Jewish people, but the prevailing theme has always been God's steadfast love. 
Often, I think people see the laws as rigid rules given by a wrathful and demanding God of the Old Testament. And, and if you're in that camp, I would just challenge you to re-examine uh, the Old Testament, and, and you'll see that the, the original writers might actually disagree with you. Um, they're, they're constantly re- referencing God's hesed. Now, that's, that's a Hebrew word um, that I learned in school, uh, which means it's his covenantal, uh, steadfast, and enduring love. And so if the writers of the Old Testament, the ones who are actually living in the circumstances, seem to emphasize God's steadfast love or his hesed over his wrath, then maybe our defining of God uh, in the Old Testament as angry and full of wrath is misguided. He's definitely just and jealous, but he's also full of hesed. And so if this lawgiver is loving and faithful, then the law that's been giving out, given to us has been given out of that love and faithfulness. The creator of this law and maker of the covenant has instituted it for his people's best interest and also brings him glory. So at this point, I want to point out what the law is not. Uh, the law is not a list of rules to make God love us more or to bring us salvation. You know, when we're looking back at Exodus 21 through 2, we see that he'd already brought them out of Egypt. Um, these laws were be, being delivered to an already redeemed or liberated people. Therefore, they're, they're not a requirement for redemption or for salvation. It, it wasn't a case of do this and you can be saved, but it was now that you're saved, do this. Um, Christopher Wright says, Uh, The commandments were given to Israel not so they could perhaps gain salvation by keeping them, but because God had already redeemed them, and this is how they were to live in light of that fact. So if the law was not meant to bring salvation, then what did it do? Well, the Ten Commandments teach us how to live in relationship with God and how to live in relationship with those around us. In Exodus through Deuteronomy, we also see a bunch of uh, various laws as well. And some of those laws spoke to general morality, while others spoke to more case laws specific to the people of Israel as a nation at that time. There were ceremonial laws that showed the people how to approach God and and also to deal with sin. And all of these laws were useful to the people of Israel, and they all brought glory to God. Now, as Anthony mentioned last week, the, the promised land where they actually lived was located in a place where nations would see it, you know, due to trade routes and travel. Um, And as outsiders would interact with the nation of Israel, they would notice some interesting things in how they lived their lives. Um, The Israelites had laws that addressed women, women, slaves, uh, foreigners. Um, Now, although as we read them, some of them, our first reaction may be, wow, some of these are outlandish or restrictive, they were actually highly progressive to the people of the time. Foreign nations would wonder, why do they have laws for women and foreigners and slaves? By making laws to protect or address them, you're giving them rights. What's this about? Um, Also, the idea of Sabbath and how they were to conduct their business showed that there was an emphasis on the God of Israel and not on commerce. People would take notice of these sort of things, and it would be a testimony of the God who is king of the Israelite people. Um, As Moses is talking to the people um, here in Deuteronomy, he says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this is a great nation. This great nation is a wise and understanding people. The law also gave people a context on how to live in an environment where their faith and way of life would be constantly challenged by the faith and practices of the nations around them. 
Um, even remnants of the former occupiers of the promised land would bring temptation to them. And the laws beyond the Ten Commandments, as I mentioned before, they, they flesh out what living them out looks like, living out the Ten Commandments looks like in the life of the Israelite living in the promised land. It showed how things like work, relationships, and health were to be practiced. And the vast variety of areas that all these laws covered really show us how God was concerned and is concerned with all aspects of life. When people come across uh, some of these laws in the Old Testament, um, it's hard sometimes today to relate to the context of them. Um, And I always encourage people who struggle with that to start with the question, why would God make this law? Why is he saying this? And I find that to be usually much more predictive than just writing it off as outdated or vindictive. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there were also ceremonial laws uh, for practice of the Israelite faith. Uh, I would actually encourage you guys, uh, I did this, I I went back and looked back in February, uh, Ward and Anthony taught two sermons on uh, the covenants and the laws that I thought were really helpful in in going into a lot of these details, so I just encourage you to go back and listen to those. Um, You can find those on the website. Um, So... Here's something interesting. I I kind of, uh, Ward talked about this earlier. Even though the people were unable to fully keep the law, the writers of the Old Testament had a very positive and high view of it, which is, which is interesting. They say, um, I think we actually said this, uh, in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. His delight. Um, Psalm 19, 7 through 11, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Um, he also says that uh, it's, it's enduring forever, it's clean, uh, going through more, it's fine, even better than gold, sweeter than honey. Um, and then finally in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses says to the people, Take heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. And he says, These words are not empty, but they are your very life. So, if this is how the writers of the Old Testament viewed the law, why is it that we have such mixed responses or views of it? Well, I'm going to give you a brief uh, Reformed history lesson that I'm summarizing from the book As Far as the Curse is Found. Um, So Martin Luther, uh, who you may have heard of, was opposed to a lot of the legalistic observances that the medieval church had instituted, and, and he felt that that caused them to lose sight of redemption through the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So in his studies on Romans and Galatians, He came to the conclusion that salvation is by grace alone through Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection and not of our works. So because of this, Luther's view of the law tended to be a little more negative. Um, He saw it as a civil fence against sin and also a definer of sin, convicting man of his sinfulness, which then points us towards, towards our need for Christ. Both of these views have negative connotations in that they just interact with the law only in terms of our sin. Then comes along John Calvin, who felt that the law had a more positive role in the life of the Christian. So while he didn't think Luther was wrong in his assessments of the law, he just felt that maybe he was missing out on what I pointed out earlier, in that scripture and even Jesus tends to have a um, positive view. So while Calvin agreed that the law was a social fence against sin, where he differs is that he viewed that as a good thing in that it's in God's grace. In spite of our sin, God gives us the law to uphold his world and his word. 
And when it comes to how the law points out our sin and our need for Christ, Calvin goes on to say that it doesn't work at, or it doesn't stop at conversion. Um, it helps us as we walk this Christian life by pointing out our sinful nature so we can repent and turn more to the God of love. And so where does Jesus fit in all of this? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about how he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And actually, he goes on to take his discussion of the law to a level that even the Pharisees and the scribes didn't see coming. An example of this here is Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell, the hell, the hell of fire. Um, so, I don't know about you, but that's that's that. When I read that, I'm like, oh, uh oh, um, yikes! Uh, imagine what the people of the time must be actually be thinking, though. You know, Jesus said, "You've heard it said." Well, where did they hear it said? Well, from God Himself to Moses on the mountain. So the weight and implications of what Jesus is saying when he says, but I say, would not be lost on the people of that time. They're probably thinking, what is going on here? Like, who does this guy think he is? All of a sudden, Jesus is speaking with the authority of the lawgiver. And as Jesus works through the Sermon on the Mount, he starts to redefine the boundaries of the law. Um, I actually had a professor explain it like this. If you think of the law as kind of a circle around God's people... Um, where outside there's, there's destruction and chaos, um, and inside there's salvation and protection. That's how, how the, the people would view the law. Well, now throughout um, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts to, with all these statements of, but I say, kind of narrow in that circle. Um, and it starts to enclose more and more, to the point where Jesus even says in Matthew 5:48, you therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the circle has become so confined through Jesus' sermon here that there's only one Jewish person standing there who fulfills the law to the extent that Jesus is laying out, and that's him, the Son of God. You know, Paul makes a very interesting statement in Galatians 2, 19-20. He says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a weird statement. Um, Through the law, I died to the law. You know, Paul is summing up the covenant-making act that God did with Abraham that we talked about last week. If you remember, we talked about how uh, they went and got the, Abraham went and got these animals, and they split them in two, and then Abraham fell asleep, and God passed through. And if you remember, as part of the, the covenant, what that meant usually was when they walked through, both parties were basically agreeing that we will uphold our end of the law of this covenant, and if we don't, let our flesh be torn like these, these animals. Um, But as you remember, God went through alone, and so basically what God was saying is, I will uphold my end of the covenant, and I will also uphold your end of the covenant, even though he knew that people wouldn't uphold their end. Um, And so Christ fulfilled the law, having fulfilled the law, what he was doing was he was fulfilling it by living it out perfectly, but then he was also fulfilling it in taking our punishment for us not having filled it out. Um, Romans tells us that through Adam's disobedience, all have become sinners. Christ's obedience to God through that, through that 
um, we've all been brought to salvation. The writer of Hebrews tells us in 10.16 that God has put his laws in our minds and written them on our hearts. If Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law, lives in us through the Spirit, we need to let that law, combined with the Word of God, show us where we fall short and allow it to point us towards Christ. So what does this mean for us today? Well, for those of us who aren't believers, um, as Luther pointed out, you know, the law still does point us to our need for a, a Savior. It shows us our brokenness and that we don't have it all together. It points us to our need for a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ, who died for our sins so that we may have life. For some of us who are believers, as Calvin pointed out, we need to recognize that the law continues to point out areas where we need to repent. We can't just say, well, I'm saved, so I can do whatever I want. Doing that insults the work of Christ on the cross. And that line of thinking, it doesn't make for good marriages or friendships, so why would it work in our relationship with God? That line of thinking holds us back from who God created us to be. We need to appreciate the law for showing us how to live. Once again, Michael Williams says, the call of the law is to translate God's grace into action. Now, for those of us who find ourselves trying to earn salvation, constantly trying to do and be better, we need to recognize that this is futile. Uh, We try and read our Bible more, we pray more, we go to church more, we volunteer more, thinking that these things will somehow make us, put us in God's grace better or something. Um, Our salvation is not earned by us. We can't do it. This line of thinking only frustrates us as we fail and fail because we're sinful people, unable to uphold the law. And if we live like this, we fall into the trap of the Pharisees. Uh, T.D. Alexander says, um, Jesus' contemporaries viewed the law as a line separating right and wrong behavior. In light of this, they sought to determine which actions were within the law and which were outside the law. That is, an individual was righteous as long as he or she did not go beyond the boundary established by the law. This approach, however, encouraged individuals to focus on the minimum requirements of the law and fostered a very legalistic attitude towards human behavior. I see this a lot. Uh, You know, oftentimes I'll have teenagers come to me and they'll ask, especially in their dating relationships, Dave, what's okay and what's not okay? And usually the motivation behind this question is, Dave, how close can I get to sin without really sinning? Um, That's kind of what Alexander's talking here. The point of the law is to actually move us towards Christ and to move us away from sin. And unfortunately, when we start to become legalistic, we're looking for the, the shortcuts of bare minimum requirement. So to wrap up, I want to challenge us to think differently about the relevance and application of the law than maybe we've had. I think uh, Christians and Christianity are often accused of being very rigid and overbearing with rules. And I think on the one hand, we do live our lives differently because we have been set apart for God. On the other hand, though, our main message is what Christ has done for us. Um, And it's not on our main message isn't what we should and shouldn't do. Um, If we live for Christ and through the power of the Spirit and we seek to be like him, we will be different. He's the one who fulfilled the law. And while details of the law may appear different to us, the function still stays very much the same. Much like how following the law made the Israelites a witness to the nations around them, um, we will often be a witness to those around us and how we live in, in our love for God and others. It will also protect us in showing us how to live in a land filled with idols and temptations. Ultimately, this law directs our paths, but it can only be followed through the work of Christ in us. So I would say, let us seek to obey God's law through the power of Christ. 
In your brokenness, find forgiveness in Christ and not in trying to do or be better. Living in Christ and for Christ who fulfilled the law transforms us. It testifies to Christ, it testifies Christ to the world, and it ultimately brings glory to God, the loving giver of the law. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for your word. Thank you um, for allowing us to live through Christ. And Lord, I pray as we, we um, look through the Bible and we look at your word and, and we even consider your law, Lord, that we would see it as the Old Testament writers did and that it would be sweet to us, Lord, sweeter than honey. Lord, help us to um, live our lives fully for you through Christ. Help us to know Christ and to make him known and help us to be a light to the people around us. Thank you once again. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.